This is Suzanne Cosgrove reporting for John Lothian News. Today we're looking at cannabis market fundamentals and equity performance with NASDAQ Salim Dayan. Salim is part of the Toronto-based research team that covers listed cannabis companies, many of which trade on NASDAQ. Reading. Hi, Suzanne. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be back. The last time we talked, it was in September, and we discussed how cannabis how the cannabis sector outpaced the general stock market in the second quarter as measured against the S&P 500. I'm wondering what happened in the third and fourth quarters? Uh, yeah, so a uh, really good question there. Uh, starting off with the with the third quarter, Suzanne, we definitely did see a pullback in cannabis names over the period as the sector broadly underperformed the market benchmarks, receding by 2.6% versus a 7.6% gain for the S&P 500. Canadian names would have served as a drag across the sector as these players generally remained relatively out of favor versus their U.S. counterparts. Conversely, U.S.-based MSOs essentially topped the leaderboard with respect to outperformers with especially strong performance in August when many U.S. names released earnings which came in better than expected. Now, shifting towards the fourth quarter of 2020, it's a massively different story. Cannabis names handily outperformed their broader market benchmarks with the Selective Index rather surging by 52% versus 12% for the S&P 500. And so effectively, cannabis names outpaced every other sector within the S&P 500. A lot of these gains were concentrated in November following the state-level ballot initiatives, which saw the legalization of cannabis at the state level across the likes of Arizona, Mississippi, Montana, New Jersey, uh, and South Dakota, effectively adding to the 33 states that already allow it for medical or recreational uses. What's interesting here is that we actually saw Canadian names notably outperform their U.S. counterparts during the month of November in particular. And so overall, for the fourth quarter of 2020, Canadian names actually managed to outperform their U.S. rivals by uh, a slight 2%. Wow, that's pretty interesting. I, I also noticed from your research that two Canadian companies, Aurora Cannabis and Village Farms, saw their shares double in November 2020. What was their story? Starting with uh, with uh, Aurora, the Canadian heavyweight essentially saw concentrated gains in early November, which is when we, we saw those state-level ballot initiatives. So no doubt a sizable chunk of the stock's gains can be attributed to the broader sector lift provided by the catalyst. The stock did subsequently pull back uh, a fair bit and then rebounded uh, after that, around the end of the month. And this was around when the company actually announced a medical supply agreement with Israeli-based Cantec, which would have provided further support for the shares in addition to the support we saw earlier in the month from the broader sector catalyst. Now, Village Farms was also uh, a bit of a similar story there, as the stock also rose notably following the state-level ballot initiatives. And then it really surged following its earnings release, which came in better than expected as the company effectively delivered you know, its seventh consecutive profitable quarter. The company also continues to build out its strategy both domestically and internationally. And in the case of the former, they actually inked a supply deal uh, with Shoppers Drug Mart, a large Canada-wide retail chain. And so the key takeaway here is that in both cases, the gains were really a function of two factors. The first being that broad scale sector catalyst and the second being company-specific developments as well. What about the investors? Were large investors' appetites different from last year? What kind of companies attracted the most money? I think the common thread 
here when we're essentially evaluating investor appetite across the cannabis space is a general willingness to increase exposure as the sector has matured. And so the simple answer to the first part of your question is, is yes, we definitely continue to see uh, increased investor interest across the space. In terms of where that money is concentrated, most of what we've seen, and you, this will definitely come as no surprise to you given our previous conversations, but most of the activity we've seen across the variety of asset managers continues to favor U.S. exposure, even when we consider the recent strong performance of Canadian players. If we actually look at ownership trends for the third quarter of 2020, we definitely see greater attention paid towards U.S.-based names. These players are typically viewed as having greater balance sheet strength and are also viewed as being well poised to benefit from further regulatory change in the U.S. I think one good proxy for evaluating overall investor appetite is actually looking at options activity. And as a bit of a disclaimer here, options activity across the cannabis space tends to be more pronounced because of the, uh, because of the sector's overall volatility. And as a result, options trading strategies can be a bit more intricate. Outside of being simply a tool to manage risk and or volatility, they're also used as income generating avenues, offering the opportunity for investors to essentially obtain exposure to relevant companies or securities at what would be viewed as favorable prices. Now, with this said, we've, we've steadily seen a decline in the put-to-call open interest ratio across selective constituents. And so for the sake of simplicity and for your, for your listeners, the lower the ratio, the more bullish the overall positioning. Conversely, the higher the ratio, the more bearish the overall positioning. And so the key takeaway here is that options activity, in addition to those ownership trends I mentioned, does imply bullish positioning. This is a picture that is really confirmed when we look at some of the other data points that we monitor, including short interest and ETF flows. Following up, the options you're talking about, are they options on individual shares or are they on the index? Uh, it's typically options on, uh, on, on individual shares. I also wanted to ask you about flows in cannabis-related ETFs. I know that's a mm -hmm. big area, and we've talked about that yeah. previously. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we definitely have seen inflows into major cannabis uh, benchmarks, particularly in the fourth quarter of 2020 with the ETF-MG Alternative Harvest uh, Cannabis Index Tracking Benchmark essentially encountering about $240 million worth of inflows. This, act, this would have been very concentrated around November, not only on the back of those state-level ballot initiatives, but some major earnings releases around early to mid-month as well. Inflows into the into the benchmark were actually so significant that we saw the ETF effectively cross the 1 billion AUM threshold in early December. And I actually would suspect some notably aggressive inflows uh, in addition to those on the back of the Democratic Senate suite. Again, if we consider this data in context with the other data sets we monitor, namely short interest, ownership trends, and options activity, it becomes quite apparent that investors, namely long-term players, continue to channel assets into the space as it evolves. Interesting. What about the prospects for other cannabis derivatives? Like you mentioned already the options. What about futures and what about swaps? Are there swaps trading and futures? I was wondering about the TMX cannabis index futures, which hasn't had a lot of volume. As you know, I mean, the, the TMX question, I think, is is quite poignant. It's a, it's a very good question. And I think with respect to its relatively tepid activity, there are a few explanations for that. The, the first is the fact that a lot of the equity and derivatives trading across 
the cannabis space, particularly across the large dual listed Canadian names, tends to be concentrated on U.S. exchanges as they tend to have greater liquidity here. And to really hit this point home, if we actually look at the trading volume by um, by country across dual listed Canadian names, we find that the bulk of the execution really occurs on U.S. exchanges, approximately over 70%, just looking at the fourth quarter data. Uh, and the fourth quarter of 2020 actually saw a pickup in execution on, on U.S. exchanges, right? So that's the first factor. Right. The second is that it's it's worth noting that the cannabis futures contract you mentioned, which essentially tracks the S&P MX International Cannabis Index is still quite new. It was really only launched in 2020, and the underlying index it tracks was really only launched on the tail end of 2019. Combine this with the fact that, you know, 2020 was an unprecedented year for the markets, given the overall volatility. And I would suspect that the uptake of a new cannabis derivative product that essentially tracks a very volatile market would be would be quite limited, right? Right. Are there swaps that are traded in this market as well? I'm not familiar with them. So most of the derivatives activity that we tend to see across cannabis names and that we tend to cross tends to be concentrated across uh, across uh, options, single stock options, okay. namely. Um, as far as we know, there, there isn't really much of a market or much of a substantial market for additional uh, additional derivative type products. And that will lend itself to the fact that, again, the cannabis space is still still quite new, still quite nascent. You know, you mentioned the contrast between Canada and the U.S., and that's a big point. But on the global front, is there investment interest in cannabis companies from Europe or Asia? Is that all? Are they also getting involved? Based on our cannabis pulse from the third quarter of 2020, we definitely have seen a bit of an increase in the geographic concentration of assets coming from Europe with top buyers across larger cap cannabis names tilting towards growth players. I mean, the types of names these investors are buying tends to be a bit variable with some focusing on broad scale sector exposure on the one hand and others focusing on concentrating their assets across uh, select names. I think the key takeaway here is that while there has been an increase, uh, it has been somewhat modest as investors continue to approach the space with some caution. But I actually imagine we may see a different picture once the public ownership data becomes available for Q4. And I would actually imagine um, a substantial difference in Q1, just given the recent Democratic sweep of the Senate. Now, on Asia, we do see some interest from more developed economies, Australia and Japan, for example, but their overall share of ownership across the cannabis space remains quite small. Namely, they're they're less than 0.5%. And a lot of this, uh, I think, will stem from the fact that the sector, again, is still very nascent and overall risk appetite uh, among these investors is quite limited. Now, Mexico is another country that we're looking at. So will Canadian and U.S. companies participate in the Mexican market when it opens up next year. Uh, yeah. And just for some of your listeners, the, the Mexican Senate last month essentially approved a landmark bill decriminalizing the possession of up to 28 grams of the drug, allowing individuals to grow up to six plants while also licensing production and sales. They also created a commission within the health department to regulate cannabis law. And there has been a bit of a delay in the official passing of the legislation, but its approval is expected in early February of this year. And for some context into why the market in Mexico is important, Mexico is actually expected to be one of the largest consumer markets globally for cannabis at approximately 88 million adult users. And so Mexico's legalization is expected to more than double the number of people globally who have access to legal marijuana. So their, their move is definitely a notable development. 
The caveat here is that the process of obtaining the legal right to produce and sell marijuana in Mexico is anticipated to be very long and very costly. And so with all these points in mind, I do think for both U.S. and Canadian companies alike, the focus will be on ramping up and consolidating a presence across the U.S., especially given there's still a lot of regulatory headway to make and untapped potential. This becomes especially important considering the recent Democratic Senate sweep, which has now made broad and meaningful reform across the cannabis space that much more possible. Now, given this development, I actually think we may see a more aggressive push to build and consolidate exposure across the U.S., where the process of regulatory change has already started, the market is understood relatively well, and where the legal institutions that support business are strong. It's also worth mentioning that Mexico's legalization efforts may very well add further pressure on the U.S. effectively accelerating the pace of regulatory change. With now, with now Canada and Mexico have some sort of legal framework surrounding, surrounding cannabis. And so overall, I think we'll really only see a more aggressive and pronounced focus on UX, U.S. exposure as a key theme for 2021. The whole North American continent is, is going to be up for grabs, I guess, and not up for grabs, but rather exactly. involved. Um, another yeah. thing that happened was the UN's reclassification of cannabis as less dangerous mm-hmm. as medical applications. It, some people say it really sent a global signal. And do you think it would boost legalization efforts generally? I do think the move is symbolic. And so it's important in that respect for countries that already have strong democratic institutions in place and more liberal cultural norms. I think this would definitely be supportive of legalization. However, for countries where democratic institutions aren't as robust and public perception on cannabis tilts towards being more conservative, I don't necessarily think it's a foregone conclusion that the UN decision will invariably lead to broad scale legalization. Namely, I think it's only going to boost legalization for countries that are already on the legalization path. Mm. And so there are still a lot of social and political connotations associated with marijuana that hamper the legalization process. Mind you, for strongly democratic countries like the United States and Canada, it's taken a long time just for us to get to this point, where even now the cannabis sector is still very new. So legalization, legalization in that respect, in, in many respects, is also very new, and it's, it's largely untested. And as a result, policymakers naturally approach it with a fair degree of caution, especially when we consider those you know, social and political connotations. Changing the focus a little bit, I, I was wondering if you're following hemp, and I wondered about industrial hemp in particular, what are the prospects for its further commercialization? Just for some context for your listeners as well on what industrial hemp is and its utility, industrial hemp is essentially a cannabis plant derivative that also contains a psychoactive component, THC, though hemp typically has lower concentrations and often has higher concentrations of CBD or cannabidiol, which counteracts the impacts of THC. Its historical uses have typically been for food, fiber, though its extracts do have various applications, including in cosmetics and nutraceuticals. One of the more notable developments that we've seen on the industrial hemp front over the past few years includes the U.S. 2018 Farm Bill, which effectively decriminalized the cultivation of the material and directed the U.S. Department of Agriculture to develop regulations regarding hemp production. The substance remains pretty heavily controlled still, i.e. hemp producers typically need to meet licensing requirements, maintain information on the land in which hemp is produced, 
develop and have in place procedures for testing THC concentration, uh, and also develop and have in place procedures for disposing of non-compliant plants. Now, demand for the product in, in recent years has really been driven by demand for that, uh, cannabis, that THC antagonist, that CBD, so cannabidiol. So it's often processed into CBD oil, which in turn can be used in a variety of different food and health products. Um, health products in particular have, have seen increased usage of, uh, of CBD. And so I think this is where a lot of the commercialization efforts will be directed, mainly the sale of industrial hemp products as um, CBD products. More so than food or animal feed or that kind of use? There have been applications um, in food uh, and, uh, and animal feed, but, but I've definitely seen a greater use of CBD um, in some sort of health products. And I think moving forward as CBD is better understood, as we continue to ramp up research on the, on the chemical, it'll, there's definitely going to be kind of a more broad scale use. Uh, across uh, across um, consumables. What are some other issues you see looming in 2021? We certainly have covered quite a few, but is there anything mm-hmm. else that you, you're thinking of? I mean, one really comes to mind, and that's the recent Democratic uh, sweep of the Senate that we, saw, that we saw this week. And so on the back of that, I actually think the more prescient issue will be if widespread federal reform w- will occur, and if so, what shape it will take. There's a lot of hope that a Democratic majority in the Senate would see support for cannabis decriminalization. And we've actually seen the major cannabis benchmark, the selective benchmark, surge on the back of that. It hit a new 52-week high two days ago, and then it hit another new 52-week high yesterday. So there's a lot of momentum, and there's a lot of hope. Um, At the state level, we also saw Andrew Cuomo announce a proposal to legalize cannabis in the state of New York. And naturally, just stepping back and looking at the implications of the of the of the Senate sweep, any federal bills decriminalizing marijuana and allowing legal sales in states would allow U.S. growers access to capital markets, including listing on U.S. exchanges, which would be huge. So, really, I think all eyes will be centered on if cannabis reform is on the table and the scope it will take. There's quite a lot of room to uh, work on that, though. Do you have a time frame you're thinking of? I mean, honestly, it's a, it's re, it's really difficult, and 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 again, I think just looking at the uh, at the kind of the political landscape that Democrats have to contend with, um, it's it's really not clear what the timeline would look like. It's Democrats haven't really been too forthcoming, or rather, too clear on the extent to which cannabis uh, reform would um, would occur, if at all. And there's also a question whether the cannabis reform would be inserted in a broader bill aimed at addressing uh, a different matter, right? So I think I think there's 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 overall a lot of uncertainty, but I think the general sentiment within the within the cannabis space is that there's there's a lot of hope that there's going to be some positive momentum on the regulatory front with respect to cannabis. I do think that you know there's 2021 is essentially going to be the year for cannabis. If I'm if I'm if I'm being a bit too bold, not only because again, the um, the U.S. regulatory implications of of a Democratic Senate sweep, but also uh, the overall implications of Mexico's legalization efforts. Right? There's there's a general sentiment that Mexico's legalization may have a bit of a domino effect because you now have two countries, one uh, to the north of the United States and one to the south, that have essentially legalized cannabis almost entirely, right? You have at least 33 states, I think more than that now, with the state-level ballot initiative that have legalized cannabis in some way, shape, or form, be it recreationally or medically. 
so I think there's 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 an incredible amount of opportunity to be had for uh, for cannabis names, and on the back of that, we'll likely see a launch of new cannabis products, new derivatives, uh, new futures, new indices. Um, so it's a, it's an exciting time. Thanks so much for the update, Salim. We always appreciate it. No worries, Suzanne. It's always a it's always a pleasure being on your uh, being on your podcast. This is Suzanne Cosgrove reporting for Don Lozano News.